Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, June 20th. We begin with our new series, Safe City, focusing on upward crime trends in Calgary and what can be done to address the issue. We speak with Doug King, professor in justice studies at Mount Royal University, about his thoughts on the role of police in 2022, what can be done to improve work done by the service, and what the future of policing looks like. It's called Ramsey Hunt Syndrome, and it made news headlines last week when pop superstar Justin Bieber announced he's suffering from the disease. So how common is this syndrome and what can be done in terms of treatment? Well, we catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, for what you need to know about Ramsey Hunt Syndrome. It's still a hot housing market in Calgary, but rising interest in mortgage rates are making things even more challenging for would-be buyers. We speak with financial expert Asid Amin from Jamin Financial for advice on those on the hunt. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. This time out, we speak with author Judy Gammon, who shares her real-life story of how a 100-year-old woman transformed her views on work and changed her path forever. How can city police better serve our community and keep Calgary streets safe? With Insight, we are joined by Doug King, Professor in Justice Studies at Mount Royal University. Good morning to you, Doug. Morning. Well, let's start with the police and, uh, you know, maybe rebuilding the trust in our police service. It's been a rough year, a few years, not just in the city of Calgary, but I would suggest across North America. What can the Calgary Police Service do to, to get, kind of get that trust back? I think you're right. I think it's been a couple of really uh, hard years. Um, You know, one of the things that that I have long advocated for is that I think police agencies in Canada and Calgary in particular, because that's where we live, have to kind of return to the roots of community-based policing. Um, You know, police, uh, you know, went into the community police policing model in the 1970s and 1980s, and we've drifted away from it. And so instead of talking to the communities, they're kind of talking at communities. And I think that's uh, leading to frustration. I think it's leading to officers' actions being interpreted in, in, in wrong ways at times. And so I, that's how I would begin. But I would also urge um, city council to start investing in policing. Um, you know, we've gone through a period over the last, I would think, five, six years where there's been no growth in the number of police officers. And we need police officers. We need, you know, the phrase boots boots on the ground is, is important. And I think that's going to build confidence uh, in, in the police when uh, citizens see, you know, uh, officers on the street, on foot patrol, on bike patrol in their neighborhood. So I think, I think there's, it's not a crisis yet, but I think there's room uh, room to start making some improvements. Professor, you know, how do you think policing has changed during the pandemic the past couple of years? And, and, you know, especially in terms of dealing with what seems to be an increase in social disorder, particularly, you know, we, let's look to our city, for example, of course. No, I think you're right. I think the pandemic has caused us to reevaluate how we're doing, how police are doing their job and that. I was uh, kind of taken aback. Uh, there was a uh, uh, Calgary Police Commission meeting uh, last uh, in the last couple of weeks where the police said, you know, we're, 
returning to you know pre-pandemic crime levels and and things like that. And that's true. But if you go back a couple of years, there were we're entering a period of about five years of crime increase. And when we're talking about social disorder, I, it, it's a it's a funny word. It's a it's a word created by the police. Um, I think what we should be looking at more words like community decay and community uh, disruption. Um, you know, uh, I live in the Beltline area, and I can tell you that there is a marked difference if you uh, if you go north of 17th Avenue or if you go south of 17th Avenue. There are hot spots of, of, of kind of community decay that's taking place. It has a lot to do with substance use disorders and homelessness and those kinds of things. And so it isn't just the police problem, but the first thing we need to do is make uh, citizens feel safe within their community. And we're slipping there. I want to touch further on community policing that you referenced, Doug. And uh, by the way, speaking with Professor in Justice Studies at Mount Royal University, Doug King, could this be even uh, having more of a stakeholder, uh, more of a, an involvement such as block watch and bringing back some of these implements that we did see uh, in the 80s and 90s? Is that exactly what we're talking about or, or a different version? I think it has to be a different version. Block watch eventually had to dissolve because people were not in their homes a lot uh, to look after and look out for, for one another. What we really need to have a hard look is I think there's a been, there's been an evolving disconnect between the Calgary Police Service, the Calgary Police Commission, and Calgary City Council. They don't seem to be talking with one another. Um, they tend to uh, kind of ignore what one another is trying to do. And I, that's where I would start. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in policing in one way or another in Calgary for 35 years. And I quite frankly can't remember where there's been a town hall in the Beltline area related to community policing uh, in the last 15 years. Um, and, you know, and, and that's tragedy because I think the closer police get to the community, they also learn about issues they also learn intelligence about people who are you know may not shouldn't be in the neighborhood those kinds of things and again we're, the police are talking at us they're not talking with us and i you know it's 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 a harsh thing but that's a leadership issue that comes from the top mm-hmm. and it goes right down to the staff sergeant who's in charge of the particular area so that's where i would start Doug, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, that term, and I don't really like the term. I think it's it gives a, a really bad impression, but defund the police. If you look at sort of the premise or the, the, the proper premise behind it, I think, was to, you know, offer services that would help police doing wellness checks, mental health calls, you know, th- to work alongside police. Is that something that we need to look at a little more seriously now? I don't think taking money or defunding the police force is the idea at all, but giving them help to go into a call along with the officers, doesn't that make good sense? Absolutely. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Calgary's been a little bit behind on that trend. Um, If you look at what Edmonton is doing, they have um, uh, response teams that involve social workers and police officers uh, to, you know, kind of address issues of of mental health. Uh, So I think you're right. I think you know, uh, 
we went through the, the defund the policing uh, thing came out of the United States. And when it came into Canada, it changed remarkably. It turned into how can we uh, have a more multidimensional response when it's needed with issues related to mental health disorders. We put a lot of emphasis, uh, and rightly so, on issues of substance use disorder um, within a community. But substance use is linked to mental health. And so we've got to focus in on that issue. And that then brings the province in, it brings the feds in, in terms of, in terms of money. You know, uh, I wouldn't want to be on city council these days because there's a lot, of, a lot of people complaining about a lot of things. But I think in the final analysis, People need to feel safe within their community. One last thing. Police officers get six months training. Six months training. There's no profession in the world that would say that would be sufficient. You can't run a 21st century organization built on 19th century principles. It just doesn't work. So that's the bigger issue that we've got to start looking at. We need to reinvent how we do policing. Interesting points. Thank you so much for the discussion, Doug. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you. That is Doug King, professor in justice studies at Mount Royal University. It's called Ramsey Hunt Syndrome, and the condition made news headlines last week as pop superstar Justin Bieber announced that he is suffering from the disease. So how much do you know about Ramsey Hunt Syndrome, and how is it treated? Talk about it. We are joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Can you break it down for us? Ramsey Hunt syndrome, is it kind of like Bell's palsy? Yeah, very much so. So the difference is that it's caused by a different virus. So Bell's palsy, which is the more common of the two, is pretty well known. This is where one side of your face essentially gets paralyzed. Typically, this is any virus, but commonly herpes simplex virus is the most common culprit there. And we see this actually quite frequently. Ramsey Hunt, on the other hand, is from the, uh, the chickenpox virus, so the same virus that causes shingles. So it's essentially shingles in the ear, which nails the facial nerve, which runs through that area. So you get the similar to Bell's palsy, you get a facial paralysis, but typically there's a painful rash in the ear, usually in the mouth also. Mm. Ugh, okay. Weird. Um, well, you know, is this something, you know, you've talked about, you know, how we could contract it, but how would I know I have this? Is this something that I'd go to the doctor with, with a pain or would it be evident that something was wrong with me? Well, the facial paralysis is usually the lead symptom, right? So half your face does not work. You cannot close your eye properly. Um, your mouth sags like over your lips. So it usually comes on quite dramatically, as in you don't have it, you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden your your half of your face doesn't work. So it's uh, pretty particular. The Ramsey Hunt, or where all the controversy of that is, is that rash sometimes doesn't come out till later. So sometimes we don't appreciate that this is a shingles until a day or two after the paralysis. Now the good news, if, if, the good news and the bad news is there are treatment for both Bell's palsy and Ramsey Hunt but it has to be deployed very, very quickly. So people have to get in, have to be seen within ideally, you know, a day or two, 72 hours at the latest. And we start with a very high dose steroid. We start with very uh, aggressive antiviral medication. And if we get it right, we can reduce swelling of that nerve and recover this quicker. The 
problem with Ramsey Hunt is about 30% of patients do not recover, so they are left with some paralysis. So this has a potential really significant effect on Justin Bieber <laughs> and his career with singing if he actually is left with a permanent disability with some facial paralysis. Dr. J, so shingles shot, you talked about, you know, or shingles, I should say, chickenpox, cold sores. Does the shingles shot help fight against you contracting Ramsey-Hunt syndrome? Yes, it would. Okay. So getting a chickenpox vaccine as a child would actually negate this from uh, a diagnosis, meaning you would never get this. You have to have native chickenpox, meaning chickenpox as a kid that goes dormant in the nerve and, and rears its ugly head later. So a shingle shot can help. Uh, chickenpox vaccine can help in kids to never get shingles or, or Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. It's interesting because Justin Bieber, when he came out, he said he, one of the reasons he did was he canceled concerts and people were giving him a hard time mm-hmm. for canceling, so he had to come out and, and you know admit this. So technically, there, there technically would be no way for him to really perform to his 100% ability, would there? Uh, unless he's lip-syncing. That, well, that sounds like a bad pun here if his lip isn't working correctly. But yes, I mean... Because uh, in theory, with that paralysis, that would be very hard to to sing correctly, uh, like to vocalize. That would definitely have a significant impact on it, and that's real. Two-second question. Um, How long does a shingle shot last, somebody is asking on the text line? It's forever, right? Yes. It's uh, considered a a lifelong uh, shot, which is good. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, Dr. J. Always love chatting with you. You betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. With interest rates continuing to rise in today's hot housing market, a lot of Albertans are wondering if now is the right time to buy. To help us out, we're joined by Asit Amin, who is the Executive Vice President and CFO of Jamin Financial. Good morning to you, Asit. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning, Sue and Andy. Okay, so housing prices, all-time high. So, you know, if we look just in the, the Calgary market and certainly a lot of uncertainty around interest rates. So how do we determine when is the best time to buy or to sell? Well, uh, that's a great question. Um, I would say that's a pretty big personal decision and a hard one to answer. So time to buy and sell uh, actually really depends on uh, your personal needs and requirements. But not to say that interest rates are having a big impact uh, today on on what people's affordability are and when is a good time to buy and sell. So I think the elephant in the room is interest rates and affordability. Mm-hmm. Elephant in the room is interest rates, which are going up a seat, but it's interesting because, you know, as much as, okay, they're not 2.5% like they may have been a year or so back, uh, but they're not 10%. So you might look at this middle rate and think, well, I'm going to wait. Uh, what do you advise people? Well, uh, I would say interest rates are rising, um, and uh, we continue. We may continue to see those interest rates rise. Um, as we know, the Bank of Canada's mandate is to fight inflation, and we're going to continue to see them fight inflation, and I believe they will stop at nothing to fight inflation. So those overnight lending rates that you hear about from the Bank of Canada affect short-term rates because they affect prime rates and variable rates as banks set them. And banks also have a cost of funds to borrow. And as they look out to bonds and other lenders who are demanding more uh, returns, uh, those have a direct impact on fixed rates. So um, as we look for interest rates and the affordability, I think think that trend is going to continue higher for the at least foreseeable future. Asit, is there anything that you can recommend, anything we can do to help with these increased mortgage rates, anything that we can, you know, obviously we can't change them, but how can we help ourselves? 
Well, um, if, if you talk about financing consideration, I would just say an overlying theme that we always do is don't overextend ourselves. Um, it's in our nature, and I know I've been, uh, it's, it's, it's in our nature for all of us to basically buy a home to our maximum affordability. So take the time to understand your finances, speak to experts like a mortgage broker, a financial advisor, advisor, and ensure you anticipate potential future cost increases. You know, we think we're still going to see utility cost increases, property tax increases, potentially future mortgage rate increases, should you choose a variable rate. So my advice to everyone is budget, ensure you have sufficient rainy day funds set aside. Talk to a professional, probably also some good mm-hmm. advice. We appreciate your time this morning, I see. You're welcome. That is a seat. Amin, Executive Vice President and CFO of Jamin Financial. I like that message. It is not as low as you like it right now. It's only going up. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time to get on that train, I think. A few years ago, author Judy Gammon was writing a book on the subject of longevity. So she set up an interview with a 100-year-old woman named Lucille Fleming. There was no way that Judy could know that her own life was about to take a new, healthier, and happier path thanks to the wisdom she would learn. Joining us now on this Motivational Monday is author Judy Gammon. Good morning to you, Judy. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Thank you so much, Andy, and Sue. Thank you. We're excited to hear your story. Everything that I've read, I haven't read the book yet, but I've certainly read a lot about it, and it sounds like it was a fascinating relationship. Tell us a little bit about Lucille and how you met her. Well, as you mentioned, I was writing a book on longevity called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100, Happy, Healthy, and Wise. And I started doing just the research, you know, what happens in these blue zones? How do people live longer? I was just doing the science. And then I was like, you know, why don't I just ask these people over 100, how did you do this? And that was really the start of of such an eye-opening experience. I interviewed several of them, but I had a writing assistant and I told her, I need you to go out and find people over 100. And I really thought, you know, this is an impossible task. You know, I said they can't be drooling on themselves. They have to be able to have a conversation. And it was a lot easier than I thought. I'm surprised at how many people are able to do this. But she said, there's this one lady, Lucille Fleming, and you are not going to believe her. You had a you had such a hard time getting on her schedule because she's duplicate bridge. She's on the residence council. She has such a social calendar and she at the time had just turned a hundred. And so I was excited. I was intrigued. And the day I met her and she flung that door open and she's dressed to the nine kind of old Hollywood style with a ribbon in her hair and a flower on her lapel. And she just said, I'm Lucille Fleming. And I just lit up and said, well, I'm Judy Gammon. And, and that was this, this moment, like a turning point in my life where I went from having this badge of honor that all of three generations of my family have worn, and that's the workaholic badge of honor, where you say, I work 60 hours a week, and you're so proud of it. And, and you know, I'm going to make a name for myself, and I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, as our friendship was developing, those things just didn't seem so important. But life and living life seemed so much more important. Lucille uh, made it to 103 years old and passed away unexpectedly and under unfortunate circumstances. But uh, from what we understand, the very first lesson she taught you proved to be the most important. Which was that? Yeah, you know, and I hate to give away the, the end of the book um, because I, I do tease that throughout the book. But I, but I will tell you, um, 
I didn't know when I was writing the book even what the the book was going to be about. I thought it was just going to be about our friendship. And people say, she died unexpectedly, just shy of her 104th birthday. Aren't you expecting her to die? But you you, you don't know. You, if you don't know Lucille, you didn't know that she was so full of life. She had all her mental faculties. And had it not be, been for an untrained aide who had helped her or tried to help her after an injury, um, that that wouldn't have, have happened the way it happened. And so having to be able to to forgive someone who has has made a mistake in life and that mistake has has changed your life and taken somebody else's life, that there's a real um, deep meaning to that that I couldn't possibly have understood when she was giving me her top ten, which was something I had asked all of the um, the people you know, that over a hundred, what, you know, what are your top 10 reasons? And a lot of them were very similar to each other, but she called me that and said, you can take everything off the list because if you, if you don't put this on the list, um, none of it, uh, none of it matters. None of the rest of it matters. And, and it was about forgiveness and I kind of took it at face value and I had no idea how that was going to be so true. Um, and it was going to just ring so important in my life and in our friendship and in what would come after she had passed. So tell us a little bit, Judy. I mean, obviously, you know, you learned a lot of lessons from her and you've kind of talked about that a bit, but you know, as you, you get farther and farther away from that friendship when she did pass away, what, what do you, is there more that you learn as you go along and you keep reflecting back? Oh, absolutely. And I'm the CEO at Executive Medicine of Texas and every day I'm making decisions, whether it's with my staff, something with patients, a business decision. Every day I'm thinking about the things she had taught me. And there's so much wisdom when you are with someone who's spent 100 years on plus on this earth. And, you know, she was born the year the Titanic sank. She lived through uh, the Great Depression. She'd seen war. She liked politicians, hated politicians. You know, she had really lived through some incredible things. And she had said to me once, you know, a lot of people think it's the end of the world when something doesn't go their way. And when you've lived as long as I have, you've had a lot of things not go your way, had a lot of disappointments, and we always get through them. And the next generation thinks it's the end of the world and how can this be happening? And, And then they get through it. And I really think about that a lot. Um, especially in these times where everyone can't really agree and, and just knowing that, you know what, we're going we're to get through this. There have been other times in history where we couldn't agree and there have been other times in history where regardless of which side of the fence you are um, on some of these issues that are, are really big issues, um, we'll, we'll find common ground and, and our, the human spirit will prevail. And love will prevail because it has, because it has to. Judy, you know, you had a, a, a number in mind, 100. You've done your due diligence. You made an incredible lifelong friend that changed your life. But I'm wondering, you know, we might not all know a centenarian. Uh, centenarian. That's what I'm getting at here. Um, but how about somebody who's 80 years old? Is this a case that we don't value and we don't, you know, take beyond maybe some family dinners, the wealth of knowledge we can get from the seniors around us? I'm so glad you brought that up because we have unburied treasure everywhere. Everywhere we have people that have lived 
maybe like you mentioned, you know, they're 80, they're 90. They don't have to necessarily be the magic number 100, but they're full of this wisdom. And we're not asking them and we're not valuing their opinion. I, I think it's strange that we look to to celebrities or influencers or it's just kind of messed up mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're looking in, in all the wrong places when we should look to that experience and that wisdom. And we may or may not agree with, you know, their opinion, but we should value the historic context of it. And we should understand that they have lived the human experience. And, and this is one thing that I really learned with all the people I interviewed, but especially with Lucille. Lucille was born in Canada, Prince Edward Island, and came to the U.S. during the Depression. But her life was very different than than my life, you know, um, in, in so many ways. But in so many ways, it was the same, because the human experience is the same, regardless of uh, your gender, your socioeconomic class, your race. And that is, we all know what it feels like to have a first love. We know what it feels like to have a loss. We know what it feels like to be embarrassed. We know what it feels like to have disappointment or to have a big win and just feel happy inside or proud of something that we've accomplished. That's the human experience, which really you know, brings me to what is friendship. And in a world where we've mislabeled friendship, it doesn't mean somebody gives you a like sign on your social media. It's about sharing that, those things that make us human, that human experience with other people. And that's who our true friends are, the ones that are on that journey with us. Wonderful reminders. Thank you so much for your time. We'll remind people the book is called Love, Life, and Lucille, Lessons Learned from a Centenarian. Thank you so much, author and motivational speaker, Judy Gammon. Thanks, Judy. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You can uh, go online and find more about Judy. It's uh, Judy Gammon, G-A-M-A-N. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.